Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. This is One Radio Network. This is me, and this is you, and good morning. You're looking, wow, you're looking good. Really? You really look great today. I just don't know how you do that. My name is Patrick Timpone, and it's OneRadioNetwork.com. It is the 3rd of August in 2022. We had a great week of shows, and uh, on the first Wednesday of each month, we talk with Fred Dashevsky. Fred is the former partner and still friend of Andrew Goss, who, by the way, I'm going to tell Fred, I'm going to tell him when I get on the air. Uh, anyway, he's the former partner of Andrew Goss, the real world of money guy, which I think you could still get the book called The Secret World of Money, and Uncle Sam cooks the books. We'll ask Fred about that, too. And uh, we talked to Andrew since 1993 on KLBJ, and then here, and then Andrew left his body, that rascal, he just left, and he left us here. But Fred was right there, and he regrouped his company, and his company is called U.S. Coin Capital that we talk about all the time. Try to do it at least once a day. Here's a little bit of a, a thing for his company, and he buys and sells gold coins for a living. Ah, what a concept. And he also um, talks to us once uh, a month, and... Fred, now you 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 got, you got a good morning. Good morning. Let me get you. Let me get your head on good straight. Morning, I, I, I get your head on straight. I want you to move over to your to your political left. That boy. See how you're right there in the center. Okay. Nice to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. How's biz? Is the gold? Everything's happy. Everything's happy with yep. U.S. Coin Capital. Business has been good and strong. We appreciate that. It has been uh, you know a really unusual year. Uh, we've watched a lot of volatility in prices of things and, you know, a lot of manipulation going on in the world of mm. the U.S. dollar and the gold and silver prices. And, yeah. Uh, interestingly, you know, the product we deal with, particularly the silver coins, we've seen premium increases consistently this year. We had another two increases back to back last week alone. Really? Uh, even with the price of silver dipping below 20 bucks for a couple of days there, now it's back at $20 again. Uh, yeah, it's been a very interesting year, but business has been very strong. I think a lot of investors are growing, you know, weary of the inflation impact and are trying to do the best they can to, you know, protect their own wealth. Yes, sir. Well, if you'd like to be on the show, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com is the email address. Just check the phone line. Oh, I was about to, but I got so rudely interrupted by my mind, but I pretty much think the, the 800 number is working. I'll do it. Fred, you and Andrew have taught us over many years that the the cause of inflation, also known as rising prices, is the increase in the money supply. Correct, Amundo? That sure. has gone on. Hold on a second. Let me let me finish. That has gone on for a long time, and then really big time over the last two three years. Right, huge amounts of money. So, the question to you, sir, is that with all of the money out there, is what the Federal Reserve doing? the, um, you know, jo Jerome Powell raising interest rates, and they just raised them again three quarter points. Is that, in your opinion, going to slow this juggernaut of inflation down anytime soon? That's your question. Well, I think it'll curtail some of the inflation, although a lot of the Fed policies that they're enacting now are a little bit late. So I think this would have been much more effective had they started doing what they're doing <laughs> Uh, a year or so earlier than they started yes, so they sir. waited way too long and they've let inflation really get a grip into the economy and i don't know that simply raising interest rates is going to by itself really solve the problem it should help because the effect of raising interest rates it will have an impact which we're already beginning to sure. see it will cause a slowdown in economic activity and you know that's part of the equation um, you know, if you look at inflation from a monetarist standpoint, you know, the old Milton Friedman School of Economics, you can cut it down to the basics. And it really does boil down to, you know, if you print a lot more money and you don't have an economy growing rapidly enough to absorb it, the net result is definitely an inflationary environment, mm -hmm. which then yields higher prices that we all begin to experience. The, uh, the rate at which this has happened in the U.S. in the past couple of years, though, has been kind of alarming. You know, we've gone from a slow monetary increasing policy system to one of the most rapid monetary expansions in United States history. 
and we are definitely feeling the impact. So the short answer is the Fed's policies of raising rates will have some impact, but it's not the only part of the equation. So it's not going to solve the inflationary problem completely by itself. So these dollars that are sloshing around the world, Fred, um, and not a whole great deal of GDP. Matter of fact, it's kind of negative, right? Uh, GDP, mm-hmm. which is this whole recession talk. What would what would slow it down? Does it just run out of juice where these dollars gets absorbed? Why? You know, what would make it go down? Uh, the inflation rate, which we suspect is probably about fifteen to twenty percent, not what they say. Yeah, I don't buy their statistical okay. data. You know, <laughs> you I think Come we on. figured it <laughs> right. I, I think we figured over the years that they're off by about fifty percent. So yes, you know, if they say there's eight or nine percent inflation, it's probably twice that. I think that's what people anecdotally experience in their real life. Yes, sir. So you know, energy prices are a big variable. If we could reduce the cost of energy, because that translates into so many other things across mm-hmm. the economy. You know, it goes to fuel prices, that means it goes to trucking, that means it goes to transportation, that means it goes to shipping costs, you know, and it filters its way through. So that's a big variable in trying to curtail inflation. So some of these things are kind of out of the Fed's control. You know, there are a lot of things happening around the world. There's some geopolitical maneuvering going on. Obviously, the situation in Russia has caused some interruptions in oil supplies. You know, Russia's playing uh, favorites to certain countries that it wants to provide oil to or holding back and providing energy to other countries it's not feeling uh, good about in these days. So those things are impacting the inflationary environment as well. But, you know, it's been said long ago, you you cannot expand the money supply at an incredibly rapid pace and increase government spending to exorbitant historic high levels and not expect to change the value of people's wealth. And I think this ignorance is becoming almost annoying uh, because it (laughs) led to the, the government actually creating a whole slew of new nonsense, you know, first denying that the inflation existed. Yeah. You know, and now when that became a, a, a game that they couldn't play anymore, it just became so absurd to try to deny the inflation. <laughs> they shifted, and you the guys, shift became the blame game. You guys are crazy. You know, then it became, yeah. yeah. Um. So. Um. So, what is the difference, Fred? What What we're experiencing now, and then what happened in the seventies? When gold went from I think what around fifty bucks at some point all the way to eight fifty over those that decade, is there any what's different now than what happened there? Anything? Well, there are substantial differences in how the um, the administrations are dealing with the problem. Uh, you know, Reagan took on a completely different approach to dealing with the inflationary problems. What did he do? Uh, and, and, what did and he the, do? Well, between him and Paul Volcker, you know, they reduced government spending dramatically. Really during that period of time. I had no idea. Yeah, and they were successful in being able to curtail the inflation by addressing it from a multiple point of view, not Mm. only raising rates, uh, as was done right after Jimmy Carter, uh, and that was to fight off the massive inflation that had been created in the middle to late 70s as a result of Nixon's removal of the gold and silver standards against the dollar in 71. It took a while for that impact to kick in, but the inflation rate had soared But Reagan administration positions were a little more aggressive in terms of recognizing that you can't simply raise rates if the government is going to keep spending incredible amounts of money. They were smart enough then to recognize that that was nonsense to try to suggest that we could fix this problem uh, simply by raising rates if the government was going to keep blowing through money at an ever-increasing pace. So they took a very aggressive stance. Hmm to reduce government spending, and with Paul Volcker's help, uh, they instituted a number of federal policies that dramatically reduced the amount of government deficits and fought back inflation on two fronts, both by raising rates to curtail the overall economic activity, but also they reduced the spending side. So, you know, imagine it as an individual, you know, if you have credit card bills that are coming in and, you know, let's say you convince your credit card companies to lower the interest payments that you have on your existing credit card debt, well, that'll help. But if you keep spending more money than you're taking in and you're adding new credit card debt and getting new bills every month, you're not really accomplishing anything. And that's kind of the equivalency of what the Biden administration is trying to do. They, They think they can fight inflation, raising rates through the Federal Reserve, 
and yet continue to spend money through the government. And that's that's just nuts. So when we say spend money, we're talking about money that is in excess of what comes in, and then you have to borrow it from either the Fed or the, the, the private market, like pension funds. Is it about a trillion? Do we know what the deficit each year is? It's about a trillion, isn't it? I believe that is correct, and it's climbing rapidly wow. because the interest payments on the debt are, are enormous. Are going up, yeah, man. And we were getting away with this for a while because the interest rates were very, very low, which meant the carrying cost on that debt was reasonable. Yeah. You know, again, as an individual, if your credit card debt is, you know, at three or four percent, uh, you might be able to carry that interest. Or just like a mortgage, you know, the payments are reasonable. But when the interest rates start climbing, and you have a massive amount of debt load, the carrying cost increases. And in this case, in the U.S., I think I mentioned this the last episode we had <laughs> episode. Uh, about every half a percentage of increase in interest rates adds about one hundred and forty-nine billion dollars to the That's national debt. That's crazy. Every in the whole say. So, are you saying that the seventy-five basic basis points they did a few days ago raised? The yearly interest payment, $200 billion? $450 billion. No. Yeah, $150 no. Billion per half interest rate point. Correct. That can't be right, Fred. Are you is that it right? It is right. Whoa. Yeah. $150B for each what? Every half a point Every interest half rate a point. point. That's crazy. Well, think about the math, right? You're carrying 32. Well, they're going to claim that there's 32 trillion in debt. You about and I know that that's also crap. <laughs> uh, there's a hell of a lot more. He than said that, crap. He said not. it. He said it on the show. I <laughs> said it. I said it crap. <laughs> Where the censors are going to lock us I, out here? I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to get banned banned from social media for using the word crap. That's Jesus, right. George George Cowan will be rolling over in his grave. Um, you know the seven deadly words you right. can't say on radio yeah. anymore. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, it's crap. Wow. So. That's crazy. The problem is, is that they admit to $32 trillion worth of debt. Right. And if you do the math, you know, you raise interest rates a half a point on $32 trillion. Okay. You can see how much more that adds to the cost. So they raised three quarters of a point last week. I yes, believe sir. in September, the plan is effectively to do the same. They may not go that aggressive. They may only go a half a point. We'll see. But yeah, it is raising the cost of borrowing the money. We've gotten away with murder the past couple of years because even though we had a massive yeah, amount of debt okay. added to let, it. Let, let me slow you out. I want to understand this because I get what you're saying, but the $32 trillion that we're paying on through the Fed and other the private pension funds, um, they don't go up uh, just because the, the interest rates is for future borrowing, right? What am I missing here? Well, again, you know, the current borrowing costs will increase as interest rates go up because we do carry this debt forward. So we need to continually sell debt at a higher and oh, higher rate. Oh, you mean because we're continuing to roll over the debt? Yes. I see. Okay, so so if you got a if you got a note say at 2%, they raise the interest rates and then when that rolls over, it's going to be 4% or whatever whatever the number is. And if you think about it in terms of how we have to pay to borrow more and more money, so as we, you mentioned, let's say we're okay. spending a trillion dollars a year, all the new debt that we add, uh, which is adding at a consistent pace, we are paying a lot more to borrow that amount of money than Whoa. we were before. Whoa. <laughs> because we have to pay out a higher interest rate. In yeah. other words, you know, no one wants to buy a 10-year note that pays 1.8% if inflation is 9%. So those rates have to go up in order to compensate for the difference. And again, the carrying costs of money when you have massive amounts of debt again i know 32 trillion is thrown around a lot and again we know that we that know that's nonsense. Not, yeah, yeah it is a monster size amount of debt for a country to try to bear when it's not bringing in the revenue to sustain even the interest payments. even the interest pay well no they bring enough taxes for the interest payments don't they barely really i mean barely you know i mean <laughs> We're bleeding money faster and faster, and the government has taken upon itself to solve the economic crises without any kind of forethought into adding to that side of the equation. So they've given up the effort that Reagan imparted, which was try to somehow reduce government spending during a bad economic environment. Yeah. The Biden administration has taken the opposite approach. It's spend, 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 spend. Even though we know that's going to add massively to the future debt of all the Americans as we go forward, 
they've given up the idea that that matters in order to solve the short-term problem of making the economy look good. You know, when Biden comes on TV and says, oh, my number one, you know, problem is I want to fight inflation. It's, it's, a, it's, it's you know, just it's kind of a yeah. joke. Um, the, uh, uh, the number is, if you'd like to talk to Fred, ask uh, him a question, 888-663-6386, Patrick, OneRadioNetwork.com. So I, I want to try to see if I can find out what the current interest payments per year is. I don't know where we would find that. But it would have to be in the $600 billion range now with what you're saying, or seven, right? I'd imagine. Wow. That's crazy. Yes. That's crazy. It's insane. That's you know, when a government can't raise enough revenue to cover its 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 current spending habits, yes, sir. you know, this is nothing new. But when the rate at which it's spending money accelerates so rapidly that it almost loses the ability in any way you can imagine to try to curtail the problem, it starts to look like we're spinning out of control. Yeah. And, you know, we are back to the stagflation that you know we eliminated back in the late uh, early 80s and, and early 90s i mean we fought this problem then and we have now come back and repeated the same problem again except it's being dealt with very differently by this administration and i think the path that they've chosen is much more dangerous is going to have much more impact on an average American than what was done during the Reagan yes, years. So stagflation would be very low gross domestic product spending and then high interest rates, right? Well, almost no growth. No growth. And yet an expanding money supply. I'm sorry, expanding money supply. Which is a dangerous supply. combination. Yeah. It's a real dangerous combination. You know, again, if you're, let's say your income is growing every year. You're, you're in a job that, let's say, for whatever reason, you get an automatic raise every year. You can carry a little bit more debt every year because you're making a little bit more money. So you can kind of even those two things out. But if your expenses keep going up or your carrying costs and your debt keep increasing, but your income doesn't, or let's say, for example, your income goes down, which is like those negative GDP quarters, that's a horrible combination for the long-term yeah. you know, benefit and health of your economic environment. And I think the U.S. faces... You know, we're, it's almost at a crisis level. The only thing that makes us viable around the world is as bad as things are here domestically. We are still way better than what's happening in Asia and the third world countries and in Europe. Everywhere. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the euro is it's almost parity with the dollar now, isn't it? I mean, it's first time in 20 years. Wow. And, hmm. you know, imagine the inflationary environment there is happening without the consumer spending that we have in the U.S. So they're getting, you know, negative growth and massive inflationary problems simultaneously. And because of that, a lot of the money has left Europe and Asia. They're coming back. And ended up buying U.S. treasuries as a default. Hmm. Fred Jaszewski is with us. Uh, please join us if you care to. It is the 3rd of August, about uh, 1030 Central. Um, you've been you've studied this for a long time, Fred, and you and Andy go way back when you started the original company, SDL. Do you, do you think that the people, in your opinion, just your opinion, that are controlling the Biden administration now, God knows who they are, really want, the really terrible things to happen to our country financially because it looks like they're doing everything to make that happen. It, it does appear that does way, it? but really what it comes down to is it's a choice. And here's the choice. You can create an environment where, let's say you look out for the health and welfare of the American people longer term, looking out to the future, which means that you may have to make some difficult choices in the current year. So make things a little bit more difficult now for the benefit of the long term. Right. Or you can do what the Biden administration does, which is political expediency. In other words, you don't give a crap about what happens Just to the it. future of Americans. Do you don't care what happens to the value of their money going forward. What you're interested in is making the economy look good now while you're in office. And that's mm -hmm. all you care about. So you make short-term decisions to try to solve a problem in appearance only for now, even though you do recognize that that is going to leave the country with a massive problem down the road, you know, but politicians look at it like they don't care about that because most of the time, by the time these problems kick in, they're out of office. <laughs> they're, they're gone. gone. They're gone. They don't have to worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we've seen this with 
it's the rollover. You know, when when George Bush was president, he rolled over a horrible economy. Uh, when Bill Clinton took over, he rolled over a better economy. And, you know, each one either gets to recognize the benefit of his predecessor or the impact of what his predecessor does and generally gets the blame for it, you know, one way or the other, or the credit for it, which in either case is not justifiable. Hmm. But again, we're making bad choices at this point, and um, it's concerning. It's very disconcerting to watch what they've chosen to do, short-term versus long-term. Have you looked at this new bill, supposedly this inflation-fighting bill? The little bit, <laughs> the little bit I've seen about it, it's Sorry. it's just not true. They're just making it's it up. Ridiculous. They're just making yeah. it up, aren't they, Fred? They've got it's, like $350 billion for the climate. What, what are they going to do? Uh, change yeah. the weather? I mean— it's gotten so bad that there is now a running discourse about the idea that all new uh, bills coming out of Congress are completely misnamed. Whatever they say they are, they're the actual they're the opposite. opposite. So that's how bad it's gotten. So, you wow. know, they come out with a bill that says we're saving this. Well, then, you know, they're not. So all they did is they repackaged the Build America Better plan, oh. which really didn't work very well. They repackaged it. Uh, it changed a few things and then kind of repurposed and brought it forward again under, you know, a new name. It's 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 insane. It's it's not going to work, and I think their projections on how they expect this to play out and how it's going to save three hundred and fifty billion, you know, in deficits long term. I, I don't buy it. That's not going to happen. So uh, I think it hinges on this lady. What's her name? Sanima Saminina out of Arizona or something. She's if she votes no, then the the thing is dead, and she's still up in the air. But the, somehow they got to this Manchin fellow, this Democrat that's been slowing down a lot of the... They got to yeah. him. I don't know what they gave him, but he, he he's in right now, as you know. He's in now. Yeah, he's been getting a lot of uh, airplay lately. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, who knows? I mean, I'm, obviously there's a lot of political maneuvering going on, and guys yep. like to get their 15 minutes of fame. And, you know, look, he stood up against one bill and got a good name for himself. But you know to put it in perspective he's no ron paul i mean you know he's not got his feet really deep into this issue and taking a stand and really fighting back i think he's also taking advantage of a short-term uh, environment to benefit his own political agenda you know maybe he believes in this stuff or maybe not but like you said he folded yeah he did and he's on board now so who knows what kind of pressure they applied to him i mean you know we could speculate on that all day long but i'm just not buying this plan uh, being successful, I think we'll look back in a few years and realize it never had a shot. I, I think we've really begun to lose track of a sense of normalcy and reality and accepted the notion that we're just going to make short-term decisions and, you know, future be damned. Boy, and it's just the opposite, as you know, Freddie, with the China and Russia and the BRICS and the Silk Road thing. They're doing high-speed trains around the world. They're building bridges. They're connecting, you know, their 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 people, you know, uh, Brazil and Russia and India and China and South America and Iran with oil and the currencies. They're long-term thinkers, and we're just doing the opposite in this country. And that, I'm concerned about that. Yes, you know, unfortunately, I think I don't know whether it's the social media, the fact that people pay so much attention now to everything, but. You know, it's almost like the government has become afraid of making a decision that is more long-term minded that might cause a little short-term pain. I think they've become afraid of that. Uh, you know, they've lost their kind of guts, if you will, to say, look, you know, we have to be realistic, people, and recognize we've got a problem. Forget about who's to blame for it. It's irrelevant. You know, who cares at this point why we have the deficit, right? This is what we are facing as a country. Why not address the issue reasonably, responsibly, and, and intelligently? But instead, we have become like the spoiled child. We want everything now, 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 now. Give it to me now. Give me my stimulus check. I don't care if it creates a deficit problem for my kids. I don't care if it you know destroys the value of currency over time. I want my money today because I want my money now. And that's the way the government seems to be approaching things. It's like like they're looking at the country like we're a spoiled child that wouldn't stand if we're told you can't have the toy today. You got to wait till, yeah. you know, next month or next week to get it because we can't afford it right now. Nobody wants to hear this at this point. They just want to hear 
how the government is going to make their life better today. Yeah. And if that means that we're going to add costs to things that the future generations will be paying, um, and they'll wonder why we ever did this, well, we don't care. And all the woke cities are buying into it. I heard on the news yesterday when I was driving that Austin's doing a deal with, I don't know, a thousand people that they're going to give them $1,000 a month for a year and with no strings. They're just going to do it just because they, just I don't know. Just give them money. Just give them money yeah, because they think that maybe <laughs> this is going to help. I don't know. It's just, yeah. It doesn't even make sense with, the, way out of the problem. with these people are, are thinking. It doesn't even make sense. Boy, are we in trouble. Not I tell you me. what. Man, I tell you what. Uh, here's an email for it. you. Uh, this is from Joyce. I'm at the age where I can cash out my 401k without penalty. I see that that it has been going down over the past few months. Should I cash it out or leave it in there? And if I cash it out, what could I do with the money? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, if you're at the age where you can cash it out, the question is, uh, where is it? In other words, the 401k is invested for you and most likely in the traditional areas. I'm sure it's a mixture of probably stocks and maybe bonds. Um, you know, the problem I see with that is that that's okay if you happen to also have some physical wealth to go alongside that. But if the 401k represents all of your savings and all of your future um, income, then you need wealth protection. Otherwise, you're exposed to the end result of what we're talking about here, which is this creation of massive amounts of money and deficit spending by government. The value of that 401k is going to continue to drop both in purchasing power and real value, both as the stock market struggles, as interest rates go up, and as the value of paper money declines. So I would generally suggest, depending upon what else you might have, if this is the only resource of capital that you have, I would suggest cashing it out, taking the money, and putting at least a portion of that into something physical and tangible, because otherwise you're counting on paper money existing in the future with the same value it has currently, and I just don't see how that's possible. Hmm. I, I hear these different uh, um, financial shows on KLBJ when I, when I drive around, and uh, they continue to talk about different things you can do with gold and silver in various retirement accounts. Are you up on that, what people can, can do? Yeah, um, there's a couple of options, but unfortunately, most retirement accounts don't allow for the physical possession ah. of gold and silver in the hands of the actual investor. Wow. So, for example, the 401ks and those types of retirement accounts specifically preclude the ability of you as the individual holding the physical gold and silver because that would mean that they had no control over you know, when you sold it and, and they'd have no record of that. So, in order to curtail... Uh, the inability of them to keep a control, they force these types of retirement accounts to only be able to invest in gold and silver generally on paper, or there are the types of IRA accounts where you can buy physical gold and silver, but it has to be stored at a facility off-site. So in other words, a third party is going to hold your gold and silver for you, and at some point you can liquidate that, but you can never actually take the physical gold and silver in your possession and you're also limited to the particular product that you can buy to the American gold and silver eagles. You can't buy any pre-33 coins. Hmm. You can't buy any pre-65 silver coins. So fun. So uh, there are a couple of limitations, but there are some options. You know, I, I guess I could put it this way. It's better than nothing. I think any form of physical silver or gold or any attachment to physical silver or gold that people can add uh, is going to be beneficial. But I'm a big fan of individual people having the actual end product in their possession. Mm -hmm. Jeremy wants to know if Fred thinks that these exchange-traded funds, ETFs, and gold and silver are safe investments. Well, they're as safe as the banks that support them. So, for example, mm -hmm. you know, Barclays that supports the silver ETF. Uh, there have been a couple of instances where there have been massive short positions taken by some big players that have created problems for some of the ETFs where a few sharp people have dug into them and said, you know, this is a little suspicious. You guys <laughs> seem to have sold a large number of ETF contracts and theoretically you are liable to have silver available to cover 
all of those existing contracts and they will do the math and say it doesn't appear that you actually have enough and when those concerns are raised a lot of times there's a scramble by the big bank to try to cover that position and the next thing you know they spike the price of silver up so the etfs are relatively strong i mean they're backed by some of the biggest banks in the world but in the end it is reliance on those banking institutions to sustain the liable quality quantities of silver that they are supposed to hold against the etfs and if they fail to do so you get a problem which is an implosion of those uh, etf contracts and it forces one of two things it either forces those banking institutions to make massive purchases of physical metal very quickly hmm. or the institutions that control those contracts the trading organizations they will tend to step in to make good on those contracts because they don't want the exchange to fall apart they don't want people to lose confidence that the exchange really works so a lot of times that they'll be covered and that means that the risk is limited to the individual, but it means we're getting a lot more manipulation. So, you know, ETFs are okay, but they are only as good as the bank that supports them. And if those banking institutions fail to maintain, you know, those quantities that they need or, you know, screw up somehow, well, then the ETFs are subject to failure. So again, they're better than nothing but nothing is better than the actual physical. You know, imagine if you have physical silver or gold, you're not relying on that third party anymore that's, to make sure that it, those right. contracts are yeah. good, right? You have the product and you own it and it's in your possession and your control. That's why I feel it's the safest way to go. I, are you as, as hardcore as Andrew was about always having possession of it and not allowing someone else to hold it? A hundred percent. Really? Nothing is more important. Of wow. all the things I've learned about in this industry in <laughs> you know, nearly 40 years, I don't think anything has become clearer to me than the importance mm. of the actual physical possession in the hands of the customer of the actual product because it just eliminates a whole slew you know, of potential problems. Yeah. It just makes sense, too, because there's just no third party in there saying... I'm going to do right. this or I'm going to do that. I mean, that's it. It's just you and you're safe, right? That's it. <laughs> now, if you lose your gold and silver or coins, sure, okay. Well, yeah. You bury them and forget where you buried them, okay. But at least you're not relying on a third party to try to protect your wealth. And I think that's kind of where I keep coming around because it feels to me as if the whole process uh, of flawed money has led me personally to believe that we as individuals have to take personal responsibility to protect our wealth because we've got a government that has effectively said to us, screw you, we don't care about don't care. you, your wealth, the value of your money. We're going to do what we have to do to be expedient, to solve our short-term problems. So I don't think that's going to change. And I'm not trying to be pessimistic about any future you know, uh, government or who might come into power in the next elections, but I just don't have faith that the government is going to do what it's supposed to. And I do believe that individuals need to take some personal responsibility for their money. Hmm. That means don't count on the government to do this for you. That's really a good argument to do something like to talk to you about getting some of your product, the numismatic coins now, because there will probably be a time, Fred Dushevsky, where what you have just said is going to become more and more obvious to more and more people, and that, that day will come, right? It's just got it's to. It's coming it's, every day. It's just I mean, inevitable. And then the prices are going to go up, and then you might as well get it now, right? It's almost sure. on sale. I mean, I don't want to, you know Well, I, I mean. believe that the, the premiums that we've seen increase this year, again it's been regardless of where prices for silver and gold have gone mm -hmm. so let me let me make that clear sure. we've had an instance for example in the past 30 days where we had a temporary drop in the price of silver so you would think that the cost of coins would go down with the price of silver dropping no it didn't in fact the premiums went up two or three times while the price of silver was going down this is telling us that mm. there's demand for the actual physical coins mm. and it's exceeding the availability of them and it doesn't really matter where the price of silver happens to be so we can't control the worldwide price of silver i mean there's way too many variables involved it's everything from you know the mirror image of the dollar as we've talked about the dollar index which i think the last time we had our episode we were looking at 
what were we about 108 and uh, a half i think it was very there. high and let me check it today while you're talking yeah i think it's about 105 now it's crazy uh it is one, like 106.67 that's crazy that's very high very high yeah very high and it shouldn't be this high and the only reason it's over a hundred hmm has to do with the motion of money coming out of Europe and Asia simultaneously coming back in. pouring into the U.S. Because, again, as bad as things do look here, we still appear to the rest of the world to be a better safe haven. And by default, they're just dumping money here, at least temporarily. Yeah. So that does strengthen the dollar. But when the dollar index hit 108, that was the week that gold dipped and silver dipped. And then the dollar faded a bit. It was down to 105 gold went back up now it's 106 and change gold is down a little bit today again you can watch this on a day-to-day -day basis it's it's almost an exact picture sure you sure. show me the dollar index from yesterday to today and whatever change had happened and i can tell you what direction gold and silver went almost the same with oil too i, I like to look at the oil oils oil's going down you know you know it's been in, held down under a hundred dollars for a couple weeks now because of the strong dollar it's just the way it works right which is really good for you know the inflationary problem because again as we talked about the energy cost translates to so much of the economy that if we can reduce the overall cost of you know gasoline and oil uh, then it, it translates into a much better economic environment and obviously there's the variables of what's happening in russia that's contributing to the motion of the price of oil but yes uh, seeing that go down is a positive uh, variable and will help but i think this dollar strength is going to fade yeah it's got you know, to I think right people will, got to yeah they'll grow weary of the idea that yeah by default they're coming into the u.s but i'm not buying that anybody really believes the dollar's strong no one wants to be in the dollar long term i mean they're buying if you watch what's happening in the bond sales no one wants the 30 year Who they do don't you, even oh, want the so you're talking about the bid to cover how many people wants want to buy this 30 year why don't they want, what's the interest rates on a 30 right now, Fred, about four? It's barely, you know, what is it? It's under 3%. Oh, it's 3%, so, yeah. So, wow. you know, the two-year, uh, we're getting inverted yield curves, which means the short-term yields in some cases are paying more than the longer-term ones. So you could buy a two-year and get more than a five-year or 10-year, you're going to buy the two because you're not locked in for as long. So what's happening is people are sending money into the U.S. and buying a lot of U.S. debt, but they're buying the short term of the yield curve very aggressively. And they're not really looking to put a lot of money into a 30-year note that pays, you know, 3%. Well, just be, so that's the inversion of the yield curve. That is just a confidence level of people wanting, uh, thinking that inflation is going to, um, or the interest rates will go down rather than up, correct? Uh, well, what it is, is it's, in other words, if you're more interested in the short term, you're not convinced that buying a 30-year makes sense. In That's other what words, I mean. It's just, yeah. 3% for 30 years is just crazy. It's crazy. Right. Right. So you believe that the interest rate is not going to cover the inflation rate, even going out 30 years. So you don't buy any of the government uh, outlook that things are going to get better in 30 years sure. and, you know, that it makes sense. So what happens is, is that more of the money focuses on the shorter term part of the yield curve. And this creates kind of a problem. Uh, it, first of all, it's generally been considered economically, it's a little inside baseball, but they generally consider that a side of a recession if more money is paid attention to the short-term part of the yield curve. If we get an inverted yield curve, in other words, where a two-year pays more mm -hmm. than a five-year or a ten-year, that's what they call an inverted yield curve, yeah. because the presumption is the longer that you're willing to hold it, the more interest you should get. Sure. If that's not the case and you get an inverted yield curve, it's kind of a sign that people are short-term minded in their approach to the bond yield. So uh, that's not a great, great indicator of uh, confidence. And I think that's going to become a perpetual problem. You know, I think we are, I, I think I said last time, I really do expect that the likelihood of recession is growing and growing. And I think we'll end up with recessionary or stagflationary economic environments for for quite a while going forward but it's all words of art i saw where wikipedia wikipedia actually changed the definition changed. of they did they fred they changed <laughs> yeah. the definition of, of a recession and then they recession, locked it yeah. and they locked it in so you can't change it Isn't that great? i mean these people are just they must think we're stupid you know <laughs> they just really 
Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, we laughed about this when they did the same thing. <laughs> they try to redefine inflation. They right. re try to redefine the dollar. You know, they constantly do this word of art where they find themselves stuck with saying, well, we can't ignore the fact that this thing exists. So let's just change the definition of what that thing is. <laughs> that's, that's all. <laughs> that's, you know, that's a clever, clever little t tool, right? Unbelievable. So then, you know, then they change the definition of a boy and a girl, and they just do whatever, you know, right. whatever it is, you know. That's no, that's, that's all. Here's an email from Steve. I have about 750000 in safe money investments, good for you, that I keep separate from my stock investments. I keep most of this in CDs and can get about 3% right now on a 48-month CD. What is Fred's opinion of, on if a CD rates will continue to go up as the Fed increases interest rates and what he thinks the CD rates may top out at? That's a good question. So as the Fed raises interest rates, will Steve's 48-month CD go up in, in, in rate? Well, the one he has now won't, but it, the future CDs that he'll be able to buy should increase. So he can roll the them over, right? He can roll it over and buy a new one. Absolutely. And as the banks are going to raise rates across the board, in other words, they're going to charge you more if you're going to borrow money, mm -hmm. their willingness to pay more money on CDs will also go up, as will the interest that they're willing to pay on even simple checking accounts. The problem, though, is that the rates on the CDs are not increasing as fast as the rate of inflation. So although he's gaining his 3% a year, if inflation, even even if we accept the nine percent, you know, rate right now, you're still technically having six percent of the value of your money being stripped every Correct. year yeah. by gaining three percent interest on a CD. I know that sounds a little well counterintuitive. He, he adds here, and and he, he realizes, and he was thinking ahead what he knew what you were going to say. He says, "I realize he's probably going to say we'll be losing money on this investment." He was thinking just like you are because inflation is higher on my return. He says, but I'm okay with it right now since it's safe money and I already have dollars in precious metals and stock market and real estate. So it looks like he's covering his bases and willing to take the hit on the inflation loss because it's safe. And, you know, Absolutely. pretty good argument. Oh, I understand yeah. exactly what he's getting at. In yeah. other words, let's say he had that same $750,000 and it wasn't in a CD, but it was in something more risky like the stock, stock market. market. Yeah. The the potential there is that you know the stock market may drop 10%, 20%, 30%. So he has the potential of risk uh, in the stock market that it could be dramatic. I mean, he could literally lose a third of the value of that money over a period right. of a couple of years. Right. So the idea that he's locked that into a CD has guaranteed a limited amount of risk to the, ga the gap between the inflation rate and the interest he's being paid. So mm -hmm. it's actually a very good way for him to cover uh, the potential losses that he would experience by taking the risk in other markets. Yeah. I do understand that. And that's really kind of, let's say, the attraction. You know, like you ask, you can ask people, like, why would they buy a bond? Why does anybody buy a bond at all? when they're only paying 2% or 1.8% or 3% even, uh, why would you buy a CD to pay, and I don't know where you get 3%, but he's getting 3%, that's great. Hmm. So why would you do that? Well, the answer is, is because you may have to look at what would be the other options for parking that money if it weren't in a CD, and if those options include something much more risky, well, then it's very prudent to say, I'd rather know my principal's intact. I'm gaining interest. I'm hmm. not going to experience massive losses due to volatility. And the only thing I have to worry about is inflation. But if I have that protected on the other side, because I do have a precious metals position, well, then that's that's great. That's exactly Kinda how works. you play the game. That's how you words, play the game. It's about diversification, yeah. right? This is what we've always talked about. Just make sure that I wouldn't want to see him have all that capital in CDs and have no precious metals position. That I think would be more dangerous. I but see what you're it saying. It sounds yeah. like he's well diversified. Because if you don't have the precious metals and he's got a real estate, he said, um, and little stocks, you're just going to be losing money or you're not, you're not even, you're not getting ahead at all, right? Yeah. You've got no counterbalance, yeah. nothing that's going up in value while that's happening. And, and that's the whole point. You know, a lot of things we have to just sort of extrapolate and make our best guess going forward. There's no certainties in anything. Yeah. But we can at least say that history has taught us that 
those investors that diversified always came out better, always came out better than people that were too heavily weighted in any one market. Now, on a 48-month CD, in the case of like Steve and others, um, do you have to keep them 48 months or can you sell those? Uh, it depends. I mean, a lot of times you can sell if you can find an active buyer that will take that off of your hands. A lot of times you can sell them short and pay a little bit of difference between the interest you would have gained if you didn't hold it to fruition. So you may have to give up a little bit of the interest payments that you would have earned if you want to sell it early. But okay. basically, you are locked in. You're locked in. You know, if you buy a two-year CD, you're locked in for that two-year period. Um, at his pace, because I'm sure his CDs are probably what they call jumbos. That's where they're about 100000 or more. Mm -hmm. That's probably why he's getting that extra bump in the higher rate. And plus four um, years, you get buy. more. You get more if you put them for four years. Yeah, yeah, if you're willing to hold it a little longer and also use larger amounts of money. Like anything else, the banks will pay you a little bit more interest because they're saying they get to keep your, let's say, $100,000 in CD by, by not having to worry about you're not going to want it in six months. You're not going to touch this for four years. And they basically have locked you into that. So they know they have use of that money for the next 48 months without any recourse. I keep thinking and back to, 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 what was it, Fred, about 1980 when interest rates were, what, 15, 18 percent? 17 percent, yeah. You could actually, Imagine you could actually, whoa, or you could actually do a 30-year note with the United States government at 17 percent. Now, wouldn't that be yep. the, the mother load? So that's what I keep thinking is, boy, if they keep doing what they're going to be doing, we could, we could experience that again in five years. We could. We could. But again, remember it. Wouldn't you like to have a bunch of cash, price, though, right? if that happens? I mean, whoa. Well, yes and no. Uh, what do you mean, no? Yeah, Why not rate. no? Why would you not lend the government uh, a bunch of money at 15% for 30 years? Man, go to well, Fiji. Well, the only reason I wouldn't, <laughs> the only reason I wouldn't would because if that were the case, it would probably be because the inflation rate was 25%. You know, in other words, the inflation rate would have to soar for them to offer that higher rate. Really? Interest rates would have to be going really high for the rates to be wait a minute, that though. much. What if they continue to raise interest rates over the next two or three, four years? Are you saying that to get that high of a, a return, the the inflation would have to get to like 20 to 30%? I, it yes. Would, really? Yes. Yeah, there's, there's no way they're offering 17% interest rates without an environment that's that's equal to that. And the reason they would have interest rates that high is because the fed has had to respond to a monster amount of inflation in the economy which is what they got to do rates. but sure. what was the what was the inflation rate in 1980 do we know it was well over 25 percent. oh was it really i mean they were oh, actually yeah. that was a number that was out 25 percent. it was about 24 25 percent. whoa i had no idea yeah, we were bleeding money at that point. At one point, I think we had short-term peaks pushing, you know, thirty percent. It no was kidding. insane. That's like Zimbabwe, man. That is like that is like third-world yeah. country inflation. I had no idea. It was, it was extremely high. Wow. And it was the reason why the Fed kept raising rates and it didn't work. So they raised them again and again and again and again, and they kept on doing it until they finally slowed down the inflation rate. So. Hmm. You know, yes, it's attractive if somebody's offering 15 or 16 or 17 percent interest. But remember, they would never do that if the inflation rate was not much higher, because the only reason those rates would exist in the first place was in response to no. a huge inflationary problem. But if you were sitting with 750K in cash and the inflation rate goes to 20 and you can get a big 30 year note, it'd still be a smart thing to do, right? Yeah. Well, well, the best thing would be, let's say you could lock that in and then the inflation rate dropped. Well, it's going to drop. If it's down, that high, it's going to go. You're still locked in yeah. at that high returning rate, which is what a lot of people had after 1980. They they had CDs and things paying 16 yeah. or 17 percent. And once the inflation rate dropped, they were still earning those types of rates until the banks at one point said, yeah, we just, you know, we can't roll this over anymore. We have to roll it over at the current rate, which means it's going to drop to 12 and then 10 and then 9. And it just kept sliding down. But yeah, for a while there, hmm. uh, people were ahead of the curve who were smart enough at that point to have locked in those high yields. All right. Well, it was brilliant. Let's just wave but a magic wand and, and go to go to La La Land for a minute. And say Steve says, 
Well, I think I'm just going to take this $750,000, call up Fred and start buying a whole bunch of gold and silver coins. Where would he be? I mean, we won't... Where would he be five years from now if he did that? He'd have to be better than having a a 3%, wouldn't he? I mean, I know you can't predict that. Yeah, I, I would I would have to guesstimate he would be way ahead if he did that. Really? But again, this is about diversification. So uh, with a portfolio that he has that already includes some physical gold and silver coins, uh, it may not, it's not as necessary. But yeah, I, obviously, I think in, in terms of the horse race between... <laughs> you know, interest rates at 3% and what gold and silver coins might do over the next five years, I'm going to bank on the gold and silver coins. Yeah, but even on a 1 to 10, just a guess, and you're not making, you know, investment advice, you're just a guess, what would what would the safety value be on a 1 to 10 five years that gold and silver coins would be higher? It'd have to be high, wouldn't it? Oh, I, I think in this environment, it's probably, you know, 9 out of 10 that really? it's going to be higher because all the variables that drive gold and silver are there values up are there you know they exist in the current economy uh, massive amounts of debt huge amounts of interest payments rates starting to go up inflation in the economy no end in sight to government deficit spending which means that they will continue to have a need to create more and more money going forward it's not as if let's say this was the more likely the volcker reagan kind of administration where we were beginning to see massive reductions in government spending, we might anticipate that inflation would go down, and therefore we might say, well, the need then for wealth protection is a little more limited. We're in the opposite kind of environment now. You know, we're getting massive monetary expansion, simultaneously massive government spending. And to expect anything less than inflation when you have those two things happening in the economy, it's just, you're just, you know, being blind. And when you add in there just the, what we understand, the political psychology, psychology, psychological profile of politics that you talked about earlier, uh, the, the, the chance of them waking up and changing is very slim. Very slim. Zero. Zero. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what, yeah. not going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You know, this administration is finding itself constantly facing a, it's like a media challenge. You know, they, they have to show that they're doing something to benefit the economy. Everybody wants to play the blame game and, you know, whatever problems everybody is experiencing, they want to have a boogeyman. You know, they got to be able to point at somebody and sure. go, this is your fault. And, and, so and whose fault is And Fred, to be fair too, even with a uh, an alleged uh 24 run with uh, Donald Trump and, and maybe a more um, conservative uh, Congress and, and Senate, the chances that these guys lower cut cut spending is, is still slim, right? They're just not going to do it. They're not going to do the it. Only difference on. is, the only difference is, is how they spend the money. You know, Democrats like to spend it one way. Republicans like to spend it another way. But there hasn't been a president since John Kennedy who has spent less money than they brought in. So really? I just don't believe that. JFK was the last that. last guy that spent less than what it came yeah. in? Wow. Yeah, everybody else has added to the debt and the deficits by a massive margin. In fact, since Reagan, hmm. if you add up all the money spent by every president combined before the current president, and this goes back to Ronald Reagan now, every president since Reagan has spent more money than every president had combined before him what do you every mean, single president what do you mean has done com that combined uh, explain what you mean by that starting george washington and going forward right and all the money together that every president spent right reagan spent more money in his eight years than all the previous presidents had in the entire 1776 to 1980 he spent more in one year in, correct in eight years and then subsequently, right after him, that continued and it continued and it continued. And every president since Reagan has done exactly the same thing. The only thing that's been different is how they've spent it. So, so that in some would cases they've spent it through. Beg the obvious question programs. is where does it go? It's just they steal a lot of it. It's just money laundering. It's and pretty much. I mean, where does all that money go? Well, we've got massive government waste. I mean, look, I mean, we, we could tear into the budget and, and look at the, you know, billions, tens of billions, tens of probably billions. hundreds yeah. of billions yeah. that are completely wasted. And then again, we've got payments on interest, interest on the debt, the yeah. debt itself, mm -hmm. and then all the government programs. So 
you know, the last two years, we know where the money went, right? All these stimulus programs, all the government projects, all the stimulus checks that went out to people. But didn't these people didn't use that money to buy stuff and keep the GDP sure. going? But it hasn't. But we created the money out of thin air to give oh, us Oh, well, that's that. a problem. <laughs> the money didn't exist beforehand. <laughs> that's, that's always that's a problem. problem. Yeah, that's always a problem. You got to keep going yeah, back to that, right? If we'd utilize money that was already in the system yeah, and then churn that over, yeah. well, what would have happened is the GDP numbers would have exploded. Ah. So, in other words, the GDP yeah. would have gone up a lot because now you got all this internal spending and people are buying goods good and stuff. services That's and spending good. money. Yeah. But we're not expanding the supply of money simultaneously. That would have been great. Yeah, that's the, the key thing. You always got to remember, this is a, a, a debt-based uh, monetary system, right? It's just the way, yeah. they, it's just the way it works. Well, yeah, and I've come to the understanding government cannot control itself. It cannot <laughs> sustain um, a, a, an, an economic environment where it only operates on the income it brings in. Government cannot do that anymore. They've given up the idea that they can do that. And now it's just a question of how much do they deficit yeah, spend? How much do they do? Okay, kiddo, uh, do you have any specials that we talked about? Your spe- Did you sell any of those specials two. that we talked about? I have two. Oh, two. Two yeah. specials. Oh, man, I'm going to write them down. Okay. Give it All to right. us. Bachelor number one. Bachelor. I have a pair of gold <laughs> coins. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to turn on a little flashlight here. Okay. okay so I have two gold coins. Okay. Uh, one is the $20 Liberty Head gold coin. That is a full one-ounce size gold piece struck between the late 1840s and ended in 1907. 1840. So it was the early version. 1907. Yeah. Wow. Most of these are going to be from the late 1890s and early 1900s. Uh-huh. They'll probably date 1904, 1906, 1898. Okay. And they minted a lot of these, so it is a relatively available generic type of coin, but it is a mint state 64 grade, which makes it extremely high quality and ki- rather scarce in this particularly high grade. I've paired that, which is, a, a again, a one-ounce size coin, mm-hmm. with the $10 Indian head gold piece that was struck between 1907 and 1932. Created by the artist Augustus St. Gaudens, oh. well known for his $20 St. Gaudens gold piece. This was his other gold coin that he he uh, created. It's the Indian head $10. So the pair of coins, the $20 Liberty head, Mint State 64, and $10 Indian Mint State 64, the pair of them at $4,800. Oh, so we're getting two $10 Indians as well as two gold, right? No, uh, one, one okay. $10 Indian, okay. one $20 Liberty. Oh, I'm sorry, we're getting... Okay, I wrote down two. One each. So it's two coins. Two coins. Okay. Correct. How much? 20 out of 10. Both MS64, and that would be 4,800. Then I have an interesting silver package, and it includes 20 graded and certified Mint State 64 Morgan silver dollars. 20 Morgan. And those were struck between Mm -hmm. 1878 and 1921. 1878, 1921. Got it. And these are MS64s that we have uh, kind of gleamed through hundreds and hundreds of certified coins to pick out the bright, white, beautiful, lustrous examples. Uh, a lot of our clients have seen the kind of coins that we pick. If you've ever worked with us, you can understand when I say these are bright, white. They are beautiful coins, you know, those without the tarnish or mm-hmm. the blemishes that occur on a lot of graded coins that are high quality. Not all of them look fabulous, but if you are particular and you only screen out the best examples, the bright ones, you know, you end up with some superior coins, and that's what all of these are. So there are 20 Morgans in MS64, and I'm pairing that with a 150 ungraded silver half dollars. So these are just loose yeah. silver halves, pre-1965, and that package together would be 44 and a quarter, $4,425. Four so 20 Morgans yeah. and 150 half dollars. How much the silver's in those Morgan silver dollars? Uh, they're an ounce of silver. Oh, they're an ounce? Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. They're an ounce of silver. 
and the silver half dollars about how much silver is in there well they're a half ounce size there's mm-hmm. there's there's point three six ounces of pure silver in a silver half because all u.s coins were 90 percent silver and 10 percent trace metal to make them a little bit more stable pretty cool so the actual melt content of silver in a half u.s a u.s half dollar it's 0.36 ounces of pure silver and by the way i like these because uh even the silver halves right now the premiums as much as they've gone up are still less than the modern coins that a lot of dealers are working with that i don't believe make any sense like silver eagles that are carrying now a 70 percent premium wow over their metal content i just don't think that makes any sense for modern coins being cranked out by the mint every year whereas we're dealing here in coins that can never be minted again so there's a limited supply of them that exist and that is becoming a huge part of their value going forward that's where the premiums have been going up on the coins pre-65 and on the gold coins because of that fixed supply so that is an essential variable that really benefits the investor well, that's so you, I like both. yeah that's why you make the big bucks because you understand this stuff dude okay so these yeah. are two different packages one is 4800 uh, the liberties and the indian and then the other one is the morgan silver dollars so we got two packages and one is 4425 well, that's fun. And we can combine the two for ninety-two and a quarter if you want to put both together. Oh yeah, let's do both together, man. Looking to do, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of investors that are spending six figures. So, um, anybody wants to package a number of these things together, you can buy multiples of either package, or you can put the two together. Mix and match. You know, if you want both gold and silver. Yeah, and the number is eight hundred eight seven eight two six four six. He's got a team there. Talk to anyone, and uh, they'll take care of you, and do a little package. Well, Mr. Fred, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for coming. What's what are you going to do today? You're on the phone a lot. Uh, we got a lot of work on the we got a lot of work on the pile today. I've got a lot of phone calls to get back to people. We've been really inundated with people who are oh, trying good. to figure out what's happening in the current That's- economic environment. A lot of people are moving a lot of money around, and you know, as you mentioned, as people are beginning to see uh, statements on what's happening to their 401ks and their stock portfolios the past couple of months, uh, a lot of people are waking up to this idea and. You know, it's strange to me, but I think this is a a positive thing. Inflation was a word that was just barely showing up in the media even a year ago. Now everybody knows it, right? Now it's it's almost daily that you see some mention of it or somebody, you know, posting an interesting article about their perceptive uh, perception of what's happening with the inflation numbers. So I'm very happy to see that that's getting more press because people really need to recognize how significant inflation is to an average person's wealth right right and then some of the big you know the heavy hitter kind of the martin armstrongs of the world we had jim rogers on from singapore boy you, uh, you talk about a gold and silver monster man he was yeah. I, did I, did, have you seen the interview i'll send it to you it was really good i have not yeah. but uh, jim rogers has been brilliant and and i, I remember him even in the 90s he's a hard money know, guy playing, boy he's playing a, this stuff out and he was making kind of projections then that seemed pretty far-fetched at the time but you know he's come up exactly right in he's been around the bend and tom happen. luongo who we have on tom is great and he ta- he's talking about some things going on in the European banking system that'll curl your hair and why they're in deep doo-doo over there and why the money is coming over here. He's talked about that sure. as well. Yeah, so, you know, may you live in interesting times, Fred Dyshevsky, as they say. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> okay, Fred's number is 800-878-2646. Okay, kiddo, love you. Take care. Let me know if you need something. Go. I mean, coffee, sugar, ammo, anything. Just call me. Oh, I got my sulfur the other day. Thank oh, you. Oh, you got your sulfur? Yeah, I saw the order go I on. Did. Good for you. All right. We'll I'm see up, you. I'm up to a tablespoon now instead of a teaspoon. Oh, oh twice a day, right? Twice a day, tablespoon, yes. twice. Good for you. All right. We'll see you soon, kid. Thank you. Bye. Take care of yourself. All right. Okay. Bye bye, Patrick. Bye bye. Take care. Fred Josefsky, one uh, real world of money. And uh, his company, as I, as I told you, is 878. 878- Two six four six. Good man, as you can hear. You know he's he doesn't he's he's just a nice you know a nice guy who's who's ethical. You know, and just boy, and this is so important. I don't have television, but I can only imagine what is going on on television, selling gold and silver and stuff. I can hear some things on the on the radio, uh, but I don't have TV. So please be careful and uh, to not. Um, you know, you know what I'm saying. 
because you have no idea what these people are going to want to sell you. And they're going to sell you anything they can. <laughs> the red couch or the blue couch or the red rug or the blue. Uh, so, so you want to work with somebody that uh, is ethical and a good person and they've been doing it for a very, very long time. And Fred and Donna and Roger and the team up there, uh, they're the real deal. The real deal. Okay, thanks for being here. We had a big week, uh, about four or five shows uh, to, that we did uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And so I will uh, uh, please uh, stick around. We're going to be uh, streaming all of the shows we did this week. And uh, we've got some good ones with Dr. Klitz, uh, Kiltz, rather, Kiltz, Dr. Kiltz, Dr. Dannenberg, Adam Bergstrom, Fred Dushevsky. Uh, good stuff, really fun. And uh, we're going to take a day off and uh, um, working more on our screenplays. We will see you Friday morning. And I guarantee you, we're going to talk about some things uh, with our meme, if it takes a long time to get young. And we'll do it on Friday at uh, 10 o'clock Central Time. So thanks for your support. Appreciate everything that you do and supporting us, buying our products, sending in the donations, and we really, really appreciate it. It's an honor to be able to make a living doing this. My name is Patrick Timpone. I love you, and may the blessings be. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is one. RadioNetwork.com.